0: I want you to take and hold your place in the book of Luke, chapter number 7. But I want you to look with me this morning in Psalm chapter number 56. I want to talk to you this morning. Last week we talked about the prayer bowls in heaven. And I told you that the Lord captures two things from earth to heaven. He captures our prayers, but this morning I want to talk to you about God's tear bottle in heaven. This morning in the, on the platform, and I'll get them to put it up on the screen so that you can get a, get a good glimpse of it. This is a first century tear bottle. I bought this from an antique dealer in the Holy Land in Bethlehem two years ago. And this is a tear bottle they found from the Roman era. It's made out of a a certain glass ceramic that that the Romans were famous for, and it was actually dug up about 20 years ago. And so this morning when we talk about God's tear bottle, that is kindly an illustration of what we're talking about. The Bible says in the book of Psalm chapter 56 and verse number 8, The 56th psalm and the 8th verse. David is writing here and he says this. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears in thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? David is the writer of our psalm and David gets here to psalm chapter 56... And he is fleeing and running away from King Saul. Saul is like a madman going after King David, and he catches uh, King David unawares one day. And so David, in a haste, has to flee into the land of Gath, which is the land of the Philistines. He gets down there, and King Achish, the king of Gath, he says, is this not David? the one that has slain thousands of Philistines. And in a moment, Achish, the king of Gath, tries to capture David. And so David, the Bible says, he has to act like a madman. And he has to, the Bible says, he he acts like a crazed man. He starts putting spit in his beard to make King Achish think that he's lost his mind. But David is going all over the place. And in verse number 8, he says, Thou tellest my wanderings." The word tell there it means to be a secretary. He said, Lord, you are like a secretary. You're writing down my wanderings. That means exile, my casting away. He said, God, you're like a secretary. You know every single time I feel like it's all falling apart. How does God tell and record and rehearse David's wanderings?" He says two ways. He says, first of all, you put my tears in your bottle. And number two, you write them down in your book. David said, every time life has turned left and right, God, you put my tears in your bottle. Brothers and sisters, I am an old-fashioned leather lung country preacher that doesn't have a whole lot of smarts, but I do have one understanding of this book, that God is not in the habit of wasting words. And therefore, if he put it in this book, then it's meant to be put there for a reason. God put that phrase in there under pen of inspiration when he said, now, David, I'm going to rehearse your wonderings and I'm going to put your tears in my bottle. What is God trying to teach us through the tear bottle? It wasn't David's tear bottle. It was God's tear bottle that he caught David's tears in. Number one, let me talk to you for a second about the context of that You see, the context of that tear bottle is going to be what really helps us understand that tear bottle. That word bottle, it literally means a skinned wrapping. What they would do in order to keep water and milk and juice and wine, they would have these animal skins, and they would be dry, tanned leather that they would sew together, and it would be waterproof, and they would put something in there that they would want to keep. Now, in the New Testament time, they went from doing animal skins and the Romans had come up with ceramic and they had come up with glass and they had come up with terracotta and all types of, of, of pottery and, and hardened materials and they would use these pieces like what we have up here. But what they would do is when somebody would die, At their funeral, there would be a man or a woman who was given the job of taking a cloth around, just like we use handkerchiefs, and they would wipe the tears of the mourners at that funeral. That person would then take that handkerchief or two or three handkerchiefs or cloth or whatever, and they would take it over to the tear bottle, and they would wring out the tears in that bottle. They would then take that bottle and they would do one of two things with it. In Jewish times and in Jewish culture, they would take that tear bottle and they would put it inside of the tomb of that person that had died. And more tear bottles that were in there, it was symbolic that that person was really loved, that person was really cherished, That person was really cared about. And then in Roman times, what they would do is they would take a smaller tear bottle and they would put it on a necklace, a chain, and the wife of the deceased would wear it around her neck in a way of showing sorrow and pain. And what it was saying is, you will forever be in my heart until we meet again. Now, brothers and sisters, we do that in a lot of different ways. We'll put lockets around our neck. And then some people, I was over there baptizing one time in the Jordan River, Terry, and, and a man came down into the water and, and he was crying and he was weeping and he got down in the water and, and I was rejoicing. We were baptizing people and I was dunking them down and I, they were coming up and dunking them down and coming up and dunking them down. And before he, he said, i got to say something. He said, My wife has always wanted to come to the Holy Land, but she was not able to because she got cancer and she died. And he said, In fact, one of her last wishes was to take a little bit of the life insurance money and to bring me over to the Holy Land. And and I—we're all just crying. We're all just—we're all just weeping. I mean, we're, it's so—I just cannot believe that that this man would do that. And he said the problem was I—I didn't have enough money to bury her and come to the Holy Land. And so what I did is I—I I cremated her and 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 I and I came to. And I'm starting to get a little bit uneasy here in the Jordan River. And he says, you know what? But I sure am glad she was able to make the journey. And around his neck he had her ashes in a vase. And he said preacher, baptize us both. I said, No. He said, Why not? I said, Buddy, that thing's held in with cork. And if that cork pops out and her ashes start floating near me, I'm going to gag a maggot right here in the Jordan River. But we do those kind of things, and, and you know exactly who I'm talking about in that Jordan River. And listen, yeah, we do those kind of things, and we, we try to keep mementos, and they would do that in a tear bottle. Brothers and sisters, what David said is, Lord, evidently in heaven, God has some sort of tear bottle that whenever the saints of God are going through trials and tribulations and brokenness, God has got a way of showing those people that you are not suffering in vain. You are not going through this trial alone, for I, the Lord, capture your tear in a bottle. That taught me number two. In a trial, we understand the context of that bottle, but number two, that teaches me the closeness of a tear bottle. Now, I'm not the smartest thing that has ever walked the face of the earth, but I'm not the dumbest thing either. And it teaches me that if God is the one capturing my tears, he cannot be far away when I'm crying. You see, a lot of times we go through these trials and these tribulations, and that's when we feel the furthest away from God. That's when we feel like the Lord is not answering our prayers. That's when we feel like nobody cares, and and God Almighty, the very one that I need, has gone far away. When I buried that husband, or I buried that wife, or I took that child down to the grave, or I was in that hospital bed, or I was going through that chemotherapy, or or me and my little kids didn't have enough, enough. And I cried myself to sleep at night and I lifted up my eyes to the heavens and I lifted up my voice and I said, my God in heaven, if you could just move, oh God, if you could just work and it felt like God was 10,000 miles away and it felt like nobody cared and God was not near at all. What God is telling us through David is that God was not a thousand miles away. In fact, he was so close to you and I that he took the holy tear bottle in heaven and He said, I am nigh when you went through that trial. That's what the tear bottle teaches. There's a closeness. Can I ask you a question? Why can't we feel God when we're in those places? I have no idea. I don't understand why you don't feel God. I can't figure it out why we don't have that close feeling, but we are either going to trust in our feelings or we're going to trust in what the Bible says and that he said, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. Never means never in English. Never means never in Greek. Never means never in Hebrew. Never means never in Spanish. Never means never in German. Never means never in Japanese. I don't speak Chinese, but I'm Pretty sure, never means never in Chinese as well. There is not one trial. There is not one battle. There is not one sorrow. There is not one issue. There is not one thing that you and I ever go through that the God of heaven is not so close that he captures our tears. Number three, that tear bottle, it shows me the concern that God has. Can I show you something? In verse number 8, it says, Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? it seems to give the the indication that as a secretary, what is a secretary's duty? It's to make sure that the minutes are written precisely. It is the job of the secretary to make sure not one detail is left. Brothers and sisters you and I go through trials, and we go through tribulations, and we go through pains, and we go through all these different things, and whether people remember them or not, whether you remember them or not, they are written down in the book in heaven, and the Lord says not one thing have you ever gone through that I did not mean for you to go through. Not one insignificant problem did you ever battle that I did not mean for you to battle. There are times down here on this earth that we don't understand why we're going through it. We can't figure it out why it happened. We don't know why we had to walk through that valley, but the good God of heaven, he says, I have recorded each and every single tear that you have ever cried. Mama, when you didn't know how you were going to make ends meet, there was a God in heaven that said, I see every single tear that you are crying. Mama, when they walked away from you and you buried your loving husband and you felt like everybody had walked away and the funeral was over and the wake was over and nobody cared, but you're still crying yourself to sleep every night and you fend don't understand in your family, God says I still care and I see every time that a tear comes down your face. I see every time that a tear streams down your eyeball. Honey, there's never been a time on an altar. There's never been a time in a car. There's never been a time walking or talking or singing or shouting where a tear flowed down the face of a child of God where he doesn't say I notice that. There's a real concern that God has for his people. You know, it's pretty easy for me to forget what you go through. I got a pretty bad habit after funerals are over, after deaths come and go, and people start moving back in their routine. We go back into our routine, and they come into church, and what we don't realize is that's when the real pain is hit. It's after the birth of the stillborn and all the newness is worn off for that lady. People get back in their classes and get back in their routines and get back in all that that stuff. It's easy for us to move on. But God says when everybody else has moved on, you're crying in the middle of the night. He says, I see that tear. And God takes the tear bottle. Mama's walking. He says, I see it. He catches every tear. You see, you cannot fathom how much God actually cares about you You cannot wrap in your head how much God actually cares about you. You cannot even understand how much God actually cares about you because in heaven right now with your name written on it, the God of eternal glory sees the pain of your heart. He sees when those anniversaries roll around and tears flow down your face. He sees when birthdays come and the tears flow down your face. He says, I know that nobody else pays attention but the good God of heaven upon the throne in glory. He grabs the tear bottle steps down over the ivory banisters of glory, condescends down past the Milky Way, steps into our atmosphere, and he says, I see. Cry, baby. I cry, my little child, because I care. Right now in heaven, there is a tear bottle. I got to looking at those words, tears and weeping and wept. You know the words tears and weeping and wept when you go through the Bible? The most times in the New Testament, you'll never guess what book it occurs in. It doesn't occur in the book of Matthew, which is the book presenting Jesus as the king because as a king, he would not always seemingly care about every issue. It does not appear in the book of Mark. See, the purpose of Mark is to present Jesus as the servant You see, servants don't care as long as they get their due. It appears most in the book of Luke. Do you know why? Because the purpose of Luke's gospel is to present Jesus as a man just like us. One that cares about what we care about. A man that was burdened with what we're burdened with. Isn't it amazing that the book that presents him as somebody just like me and you presents more about tears. Isn't it a hard thing when you feel like you've got to hide your tears? Isn't it a sorrowful thing when you feel like if people see how you really feel on the inside, they won't like there is a God in heaven that says, I know exactly what you... you know, tears are not a a language that people don't understand. All throughout the Bible, people have cried. You see, Abraham cried whenever Sarah died. We find that David cried whenever Absalom died. We find that Jesus cried over Jerusalem. We find that Mary and Martha cried at the tomb of Lazarus. We find that Jesus went down, the shortest verse in the Bible, it says that Jesus cried at the tomb. In the New Testament, the church cries whenever Paul leaves them. Tears are a language that every single one of us have to deal with. And if we don't think that God cares about it, I want you to walk out of this place right now and say I know people may not care, but I know my God cares. You look in the book of Luke. And I want you to turn now to Luke chapter number 7 and I want to take you on a little tear journey and follow the tears as the Son of Man because it says three different times in the book of Luke. Now it talks about weeping and tears, but it says three different times in Luke's gospel when he saw that. Tears. He was moved with compassion. The first time that God sees tears and tears get his attention is in Luke chapter 7, verse number 12 and 13. Jesus is moved by the tears of a fearful widow. Luke chapter number 7, verse number 11 and 12. The Bible says, and it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. And when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her... He had compassion on her. What did he see? What did he tell her not to do? Weep not. Jesus is walking down to the city called Nain and down at the city called Nain in upper Galilee, he sees that there's a funeral procession and at this funeral procession, Jesus looks around and people are weeping and people are crying. You see, back in Bible days, the way that they would judge how much somebody was cared about, they would hire professional mourners and those professional mourners would cry and whoever would cry the most and have the most people weeping and wailing, it was a way of showing how popular they were But at this funeral, this little widow lady didn't have enough money to pay anybody, didn't have enough money to hire the daughters of Jerusalem to weep. She didn't have enough. She spent everything she had in order to bury her son. Now she's broken. Now she's got nothing. She didn't have anybody weeping around her, but there was one thing she could do. She was weeping and she was crying. And when everybody else said, what a poor lady, everybody else said, what a pitiful lady, Jesus Christ, he walked to the gate. Of the city. And when nobody else thought she was anything, the Bible says he looked on her. And it turned his heart. He had can I help you with something? I do not believe that I have ever preached a sermon or any human has ever preached a sermon so much that moved God. I don't think we have ever sung a song on this earth That moves God. How do I know that? Because when we get to heaven, God creates a brand new song. If there was one so good or a sermon so good, he would take it to heaven. But there is something that grabs a hold of the heartstrings of God Almighty. It's when somebody is afraid. You see, this woman, she's a widow. Therefore, she doesn't have a husband. And now she doesn't have a son. And as a widow woman in Bible days, she's got nobody to provide for her. She doesn't know what tomorrow holds. You know what the city of Nain, do you know what that word literally means? It means beautiful. You see, there's a play on words there. What was supposed to be beautiful was actually broken. What was supposed to be attractive was actually atrocious. You see, that's the way sometimes our life can get. We think this marriage was going to be a beautiful thing. We think raising this child was going to be a beautiful thing. We think going to that assembly was going to be a beautiful thing. We think that relationship was going to be a beautiful thing. We thought that job was going to be a beautiful thing. We thought that decision was going to be a beautiful thing. But life has a way of taking that which we thought was beautiful and turning it upside down on its head. That same child you thought would bring joy to your life. now brings tears. That same job that you thought would bring joy to your life, it now brings tears. That decision you thought would bring joy to your life, it now brings tears. And everybody else is telling you, I've told you so. Everybody else has got no compassion on you and said, why don't you just get over it and move on beyond it? But there's a God in heaven that steps up off of the throne and he says, I know my child. That was not what you thought it would be, but I will not waste those tears. He says, I see... What has broken? Oh, God. Is anybody else like old Tyler Curtis right here? And we love putting makeup on a pig. Don't y'all rednecks act like y'all don't know what that is? At the end of the day, it's a pig. But we don't want anybody else to think it's actually pig, so we dress it up with lipstick and makeup. But at the end of the day, now all you've got is a dolled up sow. Well, Tyler, that's crazy. That's almost as crazy as when something falls apart in our life and we go get the spiritual makeup and start coming up with a thousand reasons why it actually is not as bad as you thought. Well, I I I I I know I, I know that it didn't all work out, but I really learned some valuable lessons. Yeah, you probably did, but you sawed up one side and you cut in half another side. You don't trust anybody. Your heart stays broken. You cry yourself to sleep every night. You don't talk about it with your mama because you're tired of hearing I said, I told you so. You won't bring it up in Sunday school because you're tired of hearing somebody say, I tried to tell you. You won't discuss it at work because you feel like they're tired of it and you just bottle it up on the inside and you try to talk it out and it becomes this well, this vacuum on the inside that you don't want to go Near. Brothers and sisters, I tell you right now, there is a God in heaven that sees when those tears well up in your eyes over a situation you thought was going to go one way, over a thing you thought should go another way, a thing that fell apart in your hands. Jesus said, I see those tears, and he's moved with compassion. Anybody else make stupid decisions? That section up there, you're all liars. Every one of your liars in them three little sections right there. Anybody else made a stupid decision in your life? Yeah, yeah. we got real ways of trying to cover those up with a decorative covering. Sometimes the best thing you can do is say, Lord, all I know how to do is cry. And not one time does God ever say, I don't want to hear it. He goes over to the little place in heaven. He picks up a little tear bottle. He says, child, I'm here. You flip over to the end of this chapter in Luke chapter number 7. The second time Jesus has moved with compassion on somebody that cries is in verse number 38. Jesus was moved through the tears of a forgiven worshiper. Jesus is in the house of Simon the leper. This man that has been healed and everybody is sitting around talking to him. And all of a sudden in verse number 38 of our chapter, the Bible says, this woman takes an alabaster box. She breaks that alabaster box open and here's what it says. And stood at his feet behind him. What was she doing? Weeping. And everybody else, they look at her and they say, was this not a waste of money? But watch what he says in verse number 40. Let's look in verse number 44. And he returned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she had washed my feet with water. Why would she do that? Jesus looks at this woman, and this is what he says to that woman. He doesn't say great job. He doesn't say hallelujah. He doesn't say fantastic. You know what Jesus said? He says, daughter, thy sins be forgiven. Who was this woman? She was a wretched, rotten sinner. And you know what she did? She said, I can't believe Somebody like him loves somebody like me. And Jesus said, cry, baby. Cry. Can I tell you what is wrong with the modern day Baptist church? We have forgotten what we really deserve every person in this room right now. You don't deserve to be downtown Nashville. You and I don't deserve to be in Wilson County. We don't deserve to be in Smith County. I don't even know if y'all got a Tallahassee County, but if y'all don't, you don't deserve to be there either. Every single one of us ought to be right now frying like a piece of bacon with our back broke in an eternal hell with the demons and the devils of hell for all of eternity. But one good glad day, the good God of heaven stepped out of his world stepped into my world, and with loving conviction, he said, lift your eyes to Calvary from whence cometh your help. And that day, I bowed myself at the feet of the old rugged cross, and that day, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. These people that splashed in the waters of the Baptist a while ago, they did not get baptized because they're good people. They didn't get baptized because they're halfway awesome people. They got baptized because they wanted you to know. I met a man from Galilee, and he knew everything about me and yet he forgave me of everything I've ever done. And if that doesn't move us to tears. Troy, can I just, can I hunt me a rabbit right quick? Mm. It's too loud. It's too quiet. That ain't my favorite song. He sings that song all the time. Didn't you preach from that text the other day? This ain't American Idol and we didn't come to please you. You remember when you first got saved? I'm making people uncomfortable right now. Well, buckle up, Buttercup, because it may get worse before it gets better. Do you remember when you first got saved? I mean, you went to the Hokey Poke Baptist Church. You had a one-armed piano player. You didn't have anybody that could play the organ. Man, they got in there, and all they could play were three chords. Everything was in three chords. You went from G to C to E, from G to C to E, from G to C to E, and if she was feeling real happy on Easter Sunday, she would throw in there a D minor. You had no idea. All you knew is when they got up there and sang, He Touched Me. You remember that day when Jesus got a hold of you. You didn't care if they sang it every Sunday. You didn't care if they sang it every service. You were just glad that you'd met the Nazarene and he knew everything about you and he forgave you your sin. But now something happens to us. We feel like church is about us. We feel like the assembly is about us. We feel like the music is about us. We feel like the preaching is about us. If it ain't the way I like it, I don't really appreciate it. Honey, let me remind you right now the only thing that pleases God is not how we sing. it's not how we preach. It is how we have a grateful heart to him, knowing that we could be in hell right now. Honey, you come into the sanctuary, and I see these little ladies raising their hands. They're just glad. Honey, it doesn't matter if Troy's singing Amazing Grace. It doesn't matter if Troy's singing this is Amazing Grace. They could be happy if Troy got up and sang Achy, Break Your Heart. They absolutely would not care. They're just glad that their heart has been mended by the hand of the Nazarene, and tears stream down their eyes. Honey, I tell you right now, every worshiper that has ever cried a tear of gratitude. God says, Anybody else notice that there's a whole lot of religious people in that room with Jesus and not one of them shed a tear? But that woman, Oh God, I I can't believe I get to be in his presence. She takes her hair. I can't believe I get to touch his feet. And Jesus said, this got my attention. Beloved, you have never one time lifted your hands up in worship. Never one time cried a tear of gratitude that God would save your soul when he said, I see. This morning, you've never been saved. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't care where you're sitting. I don't care who's beside you right now. The holy God of heaven is right a tear bottle with your name on it, knowing you ought to be in hell right now. But the Lord lets you come on a beautiful Sunday morning into the house of God and listen to the word of the living God and the fellowship of the saints of God. Ladies and gentlemen, you ought to be in hell right now. I'm not a scare tactic preacher, but I am an honest preacher, you could be in hell before the day is over. I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd get up out of my seat. I'd find my way to an old-fashioned altar and weep my way to Calvary, knowing that a holy God like him would save somebody like us. He says, I noticed. But number three, we've got to go to chapter eight and I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm through. I'm gone. Number three, The last time you see tears in Luke's gospel that get Jesus' attention is over in chapter number 8, verse number 51. Chapter 8, verse number 51 and 52. Do you remember the story of Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood? Chapter 8, verse number 51. The Bible says, And when he came into the house, He suffered no man to go in save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. And he said, what? Weep not. Here's the story of a man named Jairus. He is the man who is a faithful worker. Do you know the third person that gets the attention of God? It's the tears of a faithful worker. You see, what happened that day in that story is Jairus has got a sick daughter, and he goes down to get Jesus. And I mean, son, he grabs hold of Jesus, and he says, Lord, please come to my house. My daughter is sick, and yea, nigh unto death. He says, all right, I'll go. And he gets down, and the Bible says the people start crowding around him, and a woman comes through the crowd with an issue of blood, and she grabs the... Him of his garment. And Jesus turns to her and says, Who touched me? You know, here's a funny part of that story. While everybody's trying to figure out who grabbed his garment, one man doesn't care. His name is Jairus. You know why? He doesn't care who touched Jesus' garment. He just wants him at his house. But Jesus stopped. Have you ever felt like Jesus stopped on you? You needed him and things were moving in a direction, but he just stopped. And they get down to the house and she's already dead. And they start crying. Jesus said, I see those tears. I got you but weep not because your tears are not for nothing. Can I show y'all something if you promise not to think I'm making it up? I mean, I got this a while ago, and I had battled with this all weekend. I didn't understand. I didn't understand. Lord, of all the people in the world that you would allow to cry, why would you allow Jairus to cry? Can I show you something I just saw in the office? If you don't think I'm crazy, if you think I'm crazy, just sit there and smile at me so I don't think I'm crazy. Can I show you something in verse number 48? Jesus is speaking to the grown woman with the issue of blood. Notice what he said, calls her in verse number 48. Daughter. Verse 48. He said unto her, daughter. Now look over in verse number 54. We're at the house of Jairus. And you've got a child dead on the bed. What should Jesus call her? Daughter? Am I making this up? Wouldn't you think he would call her daughter? Verse number 54, And he put them all out, and he took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid. That word in the Greek, it literally means a grown servant. One that nobody cares about. Can I ask you a question? Why would Jesus call the grown woman with the issue of blood daughter, but he called the dead child maid? And here is Jairus weeping. You ready? Here we go. Jairus got to the end of his trial, and it all made sense. When Jairus was walking and the woman with the issue of blood caught a hold of Jesus, he called her daughter because there was only one person in that story that had a daughter that needed help. And it grabbed Jairus. But he got to the end of that story and he called Jairus' daughter grown woman, May. Do you know why? That woman with the issue of blood is an outcast. And the only way she's going to be able to get near Jesus is if somebody else goes and gets him out of the synagogue and starts bringing him out of the street because there's a woman with an issue of blood. She's an outcast. She cannot be around anybody. And you know what Jairus did? He got to the end of that trial and he said, wait a second, this whole trial, it wasn't about me. It was about somebody else. But God used me to be a blessing to somebody else. He used my situation to bring me and Jesus by somebody. There'll be times in your life where God lets a whole thing fall apart and you say, Lord, have I not been faithful? Have I not been righteous? Have I not been holy enough? Have I not been true enough? And yet the tears start flowing and one day you're going to stand in the very presence of God and he'll pour out the tear bottle and he'll say this. He'll say, you remember that trial you went through and you thought I forgot about you and you thought I didn't care about you. Here's the reason you went through that. Here's the reason you had to battle that. There was somebody else that needed me that you were going to bring me with you. You know that person at your job and about six or seven months into the situation, they said, can I just ask you a question? How are you keeping it together so much when you're going through so much? And In that moment, It all makes sense. Can I just end this right quick and tell you what happens to our tears? What happens to these tear bottles in heaven? What happens to all these tears that God is taking up? Brothers and sisters, let's fast forward, if we can, to the book of the Revelation, chapter number 21, and verse number 4. We get to the very end of the judgment. We get to the very end of the tribulation. We get to the very end of all the suffering. We get to the very end of everything. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter, Chapter number 24 or 21 and verse number 4. He says, and God himself shall be their God and we shall be his people and there'll be no more sorrow and there'll be no more death and he shall wipe away all tears. Why would he wipe them? Remember what I said at the beginning they would do at those funerals? He'll say, remember when you went and cried over that mama? Remember when you cried at that cemetery? Remember when you didn't understand that trial? And what are we going to do with those bottles? We'll take them. And we'll say, Lord, it all makes sense. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. You've never cried a tear God didn't care about. Tempted and tried, we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. WHILE THERE ARE OTHERS LIVING AROUND US, NEVER FORSAKEN THOUGH IN THE WRONG, BUT FARTHER ALONG WE'LL KNOW ALL ABOUT IT, AND FARTHER Understand why. So cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine, and we'll understand it all by and by. I love this last verse. When we see Jesus coming in glory. WHEN HE COMES FROM HIS HOME IN THE SKY, THEN WE SHALL MEET HIM IN THAT BRIGHT MANSION. WE'LL UNDERSTAND IT ALL BY AND BY. SING IT NOW and farther do. Our heads are bowed right now. Troy's going to sing that song.